What is up, everybody? This is Ryan. You're not going to want to miss this. I have Drew Seacrest on. Drew actually worked with Mark Benioff at Salesforce, the founder and CEO of Salesforce, for a period of 10 years, helped him take it from zero to 10 billion. He now has his own startup called Connect the Dots, which is absolutely awesome. And it talks about leveraging different machine learning and AI to truly understand how you can connect the dots in your network. Drew is awesome sales leader and just some really, really interesting insights on his early days and the, the top things he learned, learned from working really closely with Mark Benioff on the early, early stages on the way from zero to a billion. You're not going to miss this. I haven't heard this anywhere else. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Drew Seacrest. Drew is the co-founder and CEO of Connect the Dots. Sorry, I don't know why a lot of C's there. Uh, which is a network intelligent platform for finding the strongest connections and people and companies you want to reach. He was employee number 36 at Salesforce and helped grow it from zero to over a billion in revenue. Got lots of questions about that. Uh, Super excited to talk. Drew, happy to have you on the show, man. Ryan, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I can't wait to get into your background. But before we do that first, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So where is Connect the Dots in terms of your ARR? So we're sub 10 million at this point. We're a series A company. We've raised about $24 million total. Awesome. Okay. So you're back. And then uh, what's your primary revenue growth go to market strategy? Uh, enterprise. So we, we will probably do a, uh, we'll have some sort of personal, um, in a premium edition of our product at some point, but right now it's all enterprise. All enterprise. Okay. Or let me, let me say uh, uh, enterprise is probably not the right term. We're not targeting like the fortune 500, uh, but we are selling to companies, SMB, mid-market companies, typically between like 200 and 2000 or 3000 employees. Okay. So, to, so more like the mid-market, if you will, in terms of like yeah. company size, right? Uh, so how large is your team, Drew? Uh, we are about 60, 60, 65 people. Okay. So decent sized team for your stage. And then can you walk us through your solution in like two to three sentences? Sure. Two to three sentences. We, um, construct a graph of relationships for you personally, based on analyzing, uh, all the email, uh, emails you've ever sent or received in your life. And then we do that for companies too, so that they can traverse that graph and find warm introductions into the people and the companies that they need to get to. Awesome, man. Great job. I, I had to put the two to three sentence mark on there because I had people that would go on for like 15 minutes and there'd be no episode left by the time. So that's why, you know, you did an awesome job. You can tell you're used to answering things succinctly. So props for you, uh-huh. Drew. I don't know. I, I could just have easily gone on for 15 minutes too. So it's, it's good that you <laughs> limiter on me yeah it's your baby what do you expect you're gonna you, you gotta you gotta talk about your baby right so um you're obviously funded is that vc backed i assume yes uh lead investor on our series a was norwest and we've got some other great investors in there too uh velvet Sea ventures cloud apps capital uh and some other great names awesome man so and when we talked to the pre-show you said you were you're founded in about 2019 
So, so let's get to your story on how you got here today, right? You, we, I know you began as in the kind of reseller space for which I loved it that you said Salesforce automation. I haven't heard that term really, yeah. really dropped in a while. That used to be the uh, the go to sexy term in terms of now what we call CRM, right? Um, yeah. So. Walk us through what exactly happened, like how you started working for Salesforce. I think that's a really cool story, an interesting way. And then we can bring you kind of to present and how you got to where you're at now. Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up on the East Coast. I uh, went to school in North Carolina. And uh, my first jobs out of college were in North Carolina. And um, in one of them, I was responsible for setting up a really rudimentary Salesforce automation system. Uh, I used ACT, if you remember that, ACT with the... Oh, ACT. I used uh, ACT. Yeah. Check that out, man. Yeah. That's like going yeah. old school. I actually used ACT. It was uh, interesting to put it at that way. So anyways, keep going, man. Definitely. date It dates us for sure. Um, and it was... I, I loved it. I loved the concept of it. And I, I kind of push it to its extremes. It, ACT was really designed for an individual user, but I set it up on a network server and then we had a bunch of users on it and uh, so that was that was my first introduction to it. And I like that, but it kind of topped out, and the database would you know corrupt frequently, and had a lot of problems with it. And then a, a friend of mine uh, was working for a company that resold mid-market Salesforce automation solutions, um, and so the, the solutions were like Goldmine and SalesLogics. Those are the two primary ones. Um, and fun fact: SalesLogics is the one that was created by the, um, the, the, the creator of ACT to solve the problem that I'd experienced. You're trying to network ACT across a bunch of users while well, SalesLogix was supposed to be the solution for that. And it definitely you know, was a better solution than ACT. Uh, but we, uh, I worked for that company doing uh, implementations. Uh, so we would sell this to companies like, uh, I think our, one of our bigger com- customers was Volvo Trucking. Uh, and we you know, implemented SalesLogix for them networked it. We put it on laptops for them. Uh, and then we'd FedEx the laptops, laptops out to their sales staff. And whenever the sales team would have a problem with uh, the database corrupting on that laptop, they'd send it back to us. And that was kind of our business. We would implement it, write some custom code to make it work the way they wanted it to work. Whenever it would break, then uh, we would uh, fix it for them. And it broke a lot, frankly. And so that was a, a main problem that I, I had observed and thought, well, this is you know, it's okay. We make money whenever things break, fixing them, but it's not a lot of fun. It's not the fun part of the job. And then around that time in late, late, uh, the late nineties, so it was 1999, there was a wall street journal article that I read that, um, uh, was about the ASP industry application service provider. Now that term probably doesn't mean anything to most of the listeners today. Uh, but that's the term that predated SaaS or cloud computing or on demand. It's called ASP back then. And in that article in the Wall Street Journal, there was a little uh, piece uh, in there about Mark Benioff leaving Oracle to start a company called Salesforce.com. And they were going to rewrite Salesforce automation software from the ground up to run on the internet, as opposed to uh, you know, using existing Salesforce automation software and then you know, displaying it like Citrix style uh, you know, on the internet. And I thought, wow, that's that's really smart. Why not? Just make, make Salesforce automation a website. That makes perfect sense. And so I cold emailed Mark Benioff. Uh, and there were probably 10 people at that point. Uh, the company was very small. And uh, I, I asked him if we could resell, uh, we could resell Salesforce. 
in addition to Goldmine and SalesLogics, and we were also you know reselling Seagate Crystal Info, I thought, why not we? Why can't we resell Salesforce.com for you? And uh, he replied pretty quickly and said, uh, we're not going to have a reseller network. Um, and uh, he thanked me for my inquiry. And I and I sent an email back and said, well, maybe we should talk about something else then. He's like, fly out to California, let's talk. And so I flew to San Francisco and. Uh, you know, very like he he asked me why I was there, what you know, what what was so compelling about me coming out. And I said, look, I I'm implementing Sales Logics and Goldmine and these other products, and they they have these t- terrible problems because they're client server. There's just not. It's just a it's just a big problem. You're never going to make it smooth. <clears throat> and he said, um, basically, got up and said, come work for us. And I was like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he said come be a salesperson here, be one of our first account executives. And I was like, fine. Uh, so he quadrupled my salary on the spot. Uh, I flew back to North Carolina, submitted my resignation, packed up my stuff in a U-Haul, drove across country and, uh, and the rest is history. So I was there for, for 10 years from pre-revenue. We, we just had a beta product that, um, that we were giving away to get feedback on. Uh, when I started and then when I left, we were over a billion dollars in top line revenue and, had lots and lots of customers, and uh, we're like clearly going in the direct the direction of being the standard for the enterprise. We weren't quite there yet when I left, um, and now it clearly is. It's the the dominant platform, and it's really kind of crazy to see the trajectory that that company has taken, and see all the you know the Salesforce tower in San Francisco and all this great success that they've had everywhere. So um, that's that's the origin story with Salesforce, and it was a it was a hell of a ride. So yeah, so let me ask you a follow-up to that. So what was it like, you know, going from pre-revenue to a billion dollars with Mark Benioff? I guess like, what were the biggest things you learned uh, from from working so closely with him? I, I mean, it'd be it'd be hard to like summarize uh, that down because you know, a decade of learnings. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, you know, one thing is you know, Mark's really fast. You know that that email that I sent to him. I was a completely unknown person to him uh, and I was a kid, you know, I was pretty much fresh out of school and I sent him an email and he got back to me really quickly. Uh, and he, he's been super responsive like that. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not sure exactly what his responsiveness is now that he's, you know, in charge of this, co- this company that's uh, so gargantuan, uh, but speed is important. And if you have that across your organization, uh, it multiplies. And if you have slowness across your organization, that multiplies too. So I would say that's that's one thing is, you know, be on the ball, be responsive to everybody, internal stakeholders, your customers, your prospects, everybody. Um, you know, that's one thing. I, uh, you know, another thing is like there's kind of no such thing as bad news for Mark, you know, no matter what happens in the world. Um, you know, I remember 2001, you know, when the economy cratered and again in 2008, uh, those are really tough times for the tech world. And um, you know, from Mark's perspective, I, it was really interesting to see how he, how he handled it. Um, he, you know, clearly this is going to be a tough time, but this is a tough time that's going to have a lot of upsides to it too. And it did. And I would say like one of the things that was an upside for us in 2001 is we very quickly le- leapt from dealing with just very small companies. We were their first customers in the early 2000s were very small customer, uh, companies and when the dot-com bubble burst, a lot of those companies went out of business. So kind of overnight, we lost about 30% of our customer base, which could have been wow. a death knell to a lot of companies. Yeah. And uh, instead, Mark 
you know, Mark rallied the troops and he's like, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to go up market because all the larger companies that were going to be spending money on big systems like Oracle or SAP or Siebel or PeopleSoft, um, they don't have budget for that anymore. Their budgets have been cut and they still have the problems that they need to solve. And so we can come in and we can now go from selling companies that have, you know, call it 30 employees to companies that have 500 employees um, and say, guys, we understand that you want to implement Siebel, but you know, right now you're probably not going to get budget for it. You still need a way to have your team working efficiently, run, you know, executing sales, uh, managing their pipeline, running their forecasts. We can have you up and running like that for about a tenth of the cost. You can you can budget that. It's a subscription. You can turn us off in a year or two years when you're ready to do the big Siebel implementation. And, you know, Mark positioned that to us and it made sense. And it turned out to be one of the best things that to ever happened to Salesforce. Like the dot-com bubble bursting, I think that made the company. If that, if that hadn't happened, if that hard time hadn't happened, I'm not sure that Salesforce would have been able to go up market so quickly. So, you know, that's probably like a second lesson is uh, in Mark's world, there's no such thing as bad news. It's just, you know, how do you look at it? Um, and I would say, you know, how does Mark have that perspective? You know, one, one thing that uh, I observed is, uh, and I was, again, an East Coast kid. So a lot of this stuff was new to me coming out to California. Um, he, you know, he meditated. Um, I, you know, I think every day he'd meditate. And you knew he did it. And he would talk about it on occasion. And he had this really interesting way of being and seeing the world. And it took a long time for me to... Uh, to try it out myself. But eventually I thought, well, if this is working so well for Mark, maybe this would work well for me too. And um, so I, I think, you know, that's the third lesson. The lesson is, uh, you know, meditate, you know, find, find the, you know, the way for you to be still in yourself, in your body. And then it can really open up, uh, you know, how you see the world and it can turn things from negative to positive like that very, very quickly. Um, so, you know, you asked for a couple of, of things that I learned from Mark. Uh, those are three that just honestly came to the top of my mind. And uh, they were, you know, simple yet profound things. Yeah, no, I, I love it, man. And his his roots, like I remember, did he talk about Tony Robbins at all? Like his experience oh, yeah. with Tony? Yeah, because like I've heard Tony talk about that. And then um, so it's really interesting to hear the other side of it because Tony's really big into meditation which I didn't start meditating until I saw his stuff. Then I heard about Mark Benioff and Mark Benioff is at Unleash the Power Within, you know? Um, so that was entertaining to, to hear you say that. And then uh, he always, you know, kind of coins the phrase, it's um, life's not happening to you, it's happening for you, right? And it kind of sounds like Mark's embracing that with the way that he kind of views things and his view of the world is like, hey, it's not bad news, it's just a different kind of opportunity, you know? Yeah. Well, if you're Mark Benioff, I think you, you probably could say, yeah, Certainly, it looks like life's happening for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, well good guy. stuff. That was good, man. Not exactly where I thought you were going to take it, but it totally makes sense because that's that's a really, really big part of the game. How 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So what have you implemented then, you know, from your early days? Because you, you had to take the company from zero to one, right? And then one to on your way to, to eight figures. And so what did you learn from your early days at, at Salesforce being on that rocket ship that you deployed now uh, at yeah. Connect the Dots? Yeah, I mean, I would say, first of all, you know, everything I just told you, um, I try to deploy that in my life um, today. Uh, and I, you know, I, I had a nice meditation session this morning and, and I, that I incorporate that into my, my, my daily practice, my morning ritual. Um, the, uh, the, the kind of most obvious answer to the question that you're asking right now, um, is, uh, I, when I moved out to California to San Francisco to take that job, I was 26. Uh, I think I had been West of the Mississippi once in my life at that point. Uh, I didn't know anybody except my the people that I had met at this at, at this new company, Salesforce.com, and there were 35 of them. So it wasn't a lot of people, uh, and you know, and I didn't have a long existing relationship with them. So uh, and then I took the sales role, and uh, in the early days, uh, when you're selling to the kind of the low end of the market, you know, small companies with 20 or 30 people which is really kind of what our sweet spot was, 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe up to 100 people, something like that, maybe a little below that. Um, uh, and the reason we were selling to them is because they would take our calls and they were also willing to take some risk on a, an unproven solution. And Salesforce at that point was, you know, the whole concept of running your software um, on somebody else's servers uh, in, in the cloud was pretty radical. Um, so these small companies would, you know, take the bet on us um, because they're just they're they're less risk averse than than the bigger ones. But then as we started going up market into bigger and bigger companies, uh, and we started selling larger transactions, uh, what I learned was that relationships become incredibly important in that space. Uh, so as you you want to go to a you know start selling to a company that's got five hundred people, a thousand people, you know three thousand people, five thousand people, ten thousand people. In those situations, you really have to you have to have and you have to develop relationships in order to be an effective salesperson. And uh, the I had no relationships. You know, I just moved out from from uh, from North Carolina at that point. I didn't know anybody, but my company was had some pretty well networked people. Uh, we were all pretty. Yeah, everybody was pretty young at the time. But, you know, a lot of them had grown up in the Bay Area, gone to, you know, Bay Area universities and worked at big companies like Oracle or Siebel or whatever in, in, uh, in the Bay Area. So they, you know, they had built their networks or they had started building their, their, their networks. And um, what I found, I ended up having a Bay Area territory. So I had a San Francisco as my territory at some point as an account executive. And what I found is I don't know people here, but my colleagues know a lot of people here. And so I got really good at figuring out who they knew and leveraging their relationships to get into companies. And that was a, you know, that was a kind of a binary flip. You know, I could 
if I could find a relationship into the company that was a trusted one uh, through one of our executives or one of my coworkers or one of my customers, then if and I could get to the you know the director of sales or the VP of sales or the COO or the director of marketing, if I could find a way in, then I could get the meeting. And if I could get the meeting, we had a pretty good story to tell. So, and, and I learned from watching Mark up close how to tell that story. So I got pretty good at it. And so I could tell a good story and, and we could figure out if they had a problem that we could solve. And then we had an opportunity and then we knew how to run the opportunity and we knew how to close the opportunity. And uh, so the hardest part of that was just getting in the door, getting, breaking into somebody's, you know, getting their attention because there's so many things that you're, uh, that are competing for your attention if you're a decision maker in a company. And as you go up market and into bigger companies, you really got to figure out that, you know, how how can I, and this is what the term literally came from, uh, from Salesforce in that era, how can I connect the dots? Connect the dots meant who, who, who do I know that can get me to somebody inside of that company that can help us uh, create an opportunity? And um, so... Uh, I think that is one of the you know, core things that I learned in the first you know, four or five years at Salesforce was that you need a way to do that. You need to figure out how to connect the dots to get into these, these companies in order to be successful. And I mean, to, it worked out. I became very successful doing that. I was the top producing account executive as an individual contributor, leveraging that very heavily, you know, figuring out who Mark knew, figuring out who my bosses knew, like Carl Schachter or Susan St. Ledger, they were all pretty well networked people. I'd figure out who they knew. My customers, you know, we'd sell a, we'd sell a company and uh, like Macromedia and they would be very successful. And then the first thing I would say is, hey guys, you know, you've, you've been really successful with this. Congratulations. It's been an honor to partner with you and drive these amazing results and this incredible ROI. Who else do you know that you'd like to, um, you'd like to have similar results? Like who else could we go bring Salesforce to? And so, you know, figuring out all these relationships where people would be willing to make the introduction because, you know, it's in their best interest. Uh, they think it's going to be in the best interest of the person they're making the introduction to. Uh, it's also, you know, like uh, if you connect somebody to, somebody to somebody else where they find a lot of value, then you develop social capital, right? Like you help them out. So um, we get really good at doing that. And, uh, and that, that, you know, was the seed crystal to... What happened many years later, uh, which is uh, the founding of this company called Connect the Dots. Makes sense, man. It's definitely critical of uh, especially those big opportunities, just getting that door open, a l- just just big enough to get in there. So, so let me ask you this, I guess, because this is probably the foundation that your company is built on. Is what's your mental framework for for doing that? For understanding who knows who and getting access to them? Like, what's your mental system? Well, um, I, you know, I used to have a mental system, and now we actually have uh, an application that does this. So, um, you know, my, the mental system, I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the, how it evolved over time. When I started at Salesforce, there was no such thing as LinkedIn. And so what we would do is literally, and we were not a terribly large company. So I would blast an email out to people and say, hey, does anybody, to all hands at salesforce.com and say, hey, we're trying to sell to Cisco. Uh, does anybody have any contacts there that we could leverage? And in the early days, when you've got 36 people in the company or 50 or 80, that's okay, you can do that. 
But then when you get to, I don't know what the magic number is, but like, you know, call it 150 or 200 and everybody's blasting out emails all the time. It becomes like noise. And at some point it gets shut down. Like, you know, your boss says, uh, can't do that. Got to figure out some other way to do this. Um, so in the early days, that's how we did it. That's one of the ways. And we were also in the office. This is, you know, a very different era when we were in the office Monday through Friday every day. And, and we spent a lot of time together. And we spent a lot of time after, you know, work together too. And, you know, talking, you know, uh, over drinks, you know, at the end of the day uh, and, 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 you know, figuring out who knew who. That's, that's where a lot of that happened. LinkedIn came along in the early 2000s. And at first it was a small network, but it was kind of high quality. Uh, because the people who were connected on LinkedIn actually did know each other in the early days. Uh, what's kind of happened over time is that uh, LinkedIn has become a somewhat of a victim of its own uh, success in this regard, in that lots of people are now connected to each other and there's not a lot of context. So people are connected to, I'm, you know, I'm connected to 4,000 some people and I probably know 20% of them is my guess. And then the other 80% I'm connected to, and I don't really know how I got connected to them or why, or, you know, like, I, I just don't know anything about them. And uh, so that's, you know, everybody's percentage varies, but that has happened now across the LinkedIn network. And so the mental model that I had for a, a while was, you know, let's use LinkedIn as the source to figure out who knows who, that's the primary thing. And then there, you might find some serendipitous other, you know, things through conversation with people that they can make introductions for you. Now, fast forward to, you know, almost 2023 now. Um, and, you know, LinkedIn is, LinkedIn is a graph with a lot of relationships in there, but there's a lot of, there's a very high noise to signal ratio on who actually knows who. And so it's hard to use that to really figure out if you can leverage relationships to get into a place you want to get to. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's it is, um, so that is, that's a challenge, and that's a challenge that we exist to solve. And the way that we solve that is uh, by analyzing uh, email data, email metadata, to figure out who actually knows who, and then creating a relationship strength score between every you know every pair of people. So I can see that you know Ryan, you and I know each other just a little bit at this point. We would have mm -hmm. an automatically scored weak relationship. Not that that's bad. It just means it's an early relationship. And then over time, if we communicate more, that would graduate up to uh, what's called a familiar relationship. So that would be tagged as such in Connect the Dots. And then if we keep you know, communicating a lot over time, then it would become a strong relationship. And so your entire network is just you know, growing, you know, kind of ebbing and flowing as these relationships are you know, becoming stronger or becoming weaker over time. And that's what the network uh, on Connect the Dots represents. So you can see those relationships and see very clearly, oh, I'm trying to get to that person at that company. And these are the four people that I, that I know out of the 80 people that I could potentially ask. These are the four that have the really strong relationships. I'm going to focus my, my effort asking one of those people for the introduction, not trying to figure out all these other people who may or may not know each other. So the, the new, that's, that is the new mental model um, that, we, uh, that we've innovated and it works great. Uh, I think you're going to, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you start using this yourself. Okay. No, I think that's great. So how does it like, let's take it one step deeper. So if you're looking at it and you know, you have the email, the frequency, like what are the other key, key, key KPIs that are like great indicators of a strong relationship as through email? Um, well, through email specifically or, or other 
like out in the world. Just through your model that you leverage. You said it's through email, through looking at the email yeah. chain. So, yeah. The, the other thing is we let um, we let uh, users also connect their LinkedIn contacts. So we'll mm-hmm. you duplicate the two and give you a superset of everybody, like your entire business network, both email and LinkedIn, in one place. So there, there's like some signal there. If you've connected to somebody on LinkedIn, you know, then you you have some connection to that person. Um, so those are the those are the primary things that we do right now. We have plans later um, to augment with other ways that you communicate, uh, but for the time being, we're focused on uh, on that. Okay, gotcha. So um, I guess then, like, how does it span out? Like, if you're looking at it, so I can see that with your own personal network, right? But let's say, uh, is there like a kind of like LinkedIn Enterprise works this way a little bit with with a I don't know that connect feature, right? So does it, 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 I assume it, since you're talking about a graph, it spiders out to like your network and then it identifies like, let's say, you know, Johnny at Cisco, right? Um, and you're an executive in our company, then it would identify that it it appears that you have a strong relationship with Johnny from Cisco based on kind of what, what you've been doing so far. Would you agree? Is that, is that yeah. kind of how it works? Yeah, or so, Yeah. So, so basically when, when a, when a company deploys this, uh, their their administrator connects their email uh, server, whether that's you know uh, Google Workspace, Gmail, uh, or Microsoft Office 365. They connect it to Connect the Dots, and then Connect the Dots uh, analyzes the metadata, the header data on every email that's ever been sent or received by anybody in the company. Uh, so it's a lot. There's a lot of data that, <clears throat> depending on the size of the company, it's an awful lot. Uh, and then that takes some time to analyze. And then that creates the graph. That's the foundation for the graph. And you can see, you know, uh, your VP of finance has a strong relationship with the, uh, you know, director of sales at this division of Cisco or whatever the relationship is. And it does that for everybody, like every human being across uh, across the entire um, data set on, on uh, the email servers. That's the foundation. Then each employee can also, if you want to power up your network, and this is where it's like, there's kind of this is an interesting hybrid approach that we've taken. It, the, the employee can also connect their LinkedIn contacts. So click a button and you can import your LinkedIn contacts. The, the, uh, the employee can also connect their personal email account. So you might be, uh, might be the first day in the job at you know, your, new, your new employer, but you've got a personal Gmail account that you've been using for the last 20 years. And so it, that, that account ha- might have 20,000 relationships in it. You can connect that um, to, your, uh, to the, uh, uh, the Connect the Dots account. And that is, if you do that, what that does is um, you always control what you share. You don't have to share anything that, with anybody that you don't want to. The maximum that you're sharing with anybody ever as a user is the name, title, and company of a person that you know, and then these three dots that indicate how well you know the person. That's it. You're never sharing anything more. You're not sharing their email address, their phone number, the last time you communicated with them, none of that. <clears throat> so it's it's innocuous. There's not much to it, but it's incredibly powerful when you do that because now you can see who really knows who. So as an, as an individual uh, employee at the company, you can connect your personal email account, and then you've got this consolidated view of everything, your work email, your LinkedIn, your personal email, all in one place. And the way it works by design and, and default is when you leave the company, you get to keep all your contacts. You let that sink in. So like, you know, you might stay and work at a company for seven years, 
And currently, when you leave a company after seven years, you leave all your contact, like all that email communication is just gone, right? And I remember what that was like when I left Salesforce. I kind of joke about it. Um, I left Salesforce after 10 years. And the day I walked out the door and I no longer had access to my email account, I was like, oh, it feels like I just had a lobotomy. Like there's a part of my brain that's gone that had all this, you know, info that I used to reference all the time. And it really, it was terrible, actually. It was really really bad for a while. I was like, where do I find information about all these people? And the answer is it's lost. Um, so the way that Connect the Dots works is you get to keep those the contact data. You don't get to keep the emails. That stays with your employer. Right. But you still get, you get to keep this rolled up kind of like evergreen Rolodex of all your relationships. Uh, and you take that with you wherever you go. So the next company that you go to, you can plug that into their Connect the Dots instance. And then you, then you still have your unified view. Work email, personal email, which is now rolled up from previous jobs, and your LinkedIn. It just keeps growing like a snowball rolling downhill over the course of your life and, and your career. It's awesome, man. I think that's fascinating. And it's so useful for for large deals. So and in a lot of other applications in life. I don't mean to minimize it and just say it's all around just revenue. I mean, there's there's so many other aspects to it. So I think it's it's fascinating what you're doing. And there's a a lot of really unique use use cases for that. So in light of that, uh, what would you say is like your single biggest challenge now with with growing the company, with the stage you're at, uniqueness of your solution, and everything else? You know, CEO should always know what the single biggest challenge is. Um, <laughs> and uh, but the, the reality is, like running a startup, there are so many challenges at any given time that uh, I, that, that we'd have to have a bake off here. Um, <laughs> I think what is the single biggest challenge right now? Hopefully, you can do some editing on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, or at least play the Jeopardy theme song, or that. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, it's yeah, all good, man. It's tough because, like, you're right. There's a lot of different yeah. fires, areas, things. I mean, a lot to overcome when you're when you're in the stage that you're at. So, um, yeah. So yeah, no sweat. So one answer would be at the present moment, I would say uh, finding great DevOps is hard uh, right now, and uh, so. Uh, that's just a, that's one specific thing. So if you're in DevOps out there and you're fantastic, then uh, we're hiring. So please, uh, please reach out to me. So that's, that's one thing. I think the um, another thing that's a, a bit of a challenge right now, and I don't know if it's our biggest challenge, is explaining the hybrid nature of our product to everybody. Uh, so if you're an individual, uh, there's like some uh, you might be scared to connect your personal email account to this thing that is used by your company. And uh, so we have to explain to you why that's not scary. It's really in your best interest. If you're a company, then you might get a little scared about the idea of your personal, uh, your employees connecting to this enterprise system that you use and taking some of the data with them. That's the contact data. So on both sides, it's in it's in their best interest. The individual, so incredibly in your best interest to do this. Do this before you leave your company. And the enterprise, it's so incredibly in your best interest to do this because when an employee brings their network to the company, then the network gets way bigger. And you can see all these connections that you might have never guessed. Like one of, a, you know, one of the companies we, uh, that we're working with, they, they had a junior analyst that was trying to sell uh, – I'm sorry – they had a, an account executive who was trying to sell into uh, Hospital Corporation of America. And uh, so they spent a year banging their head against the door to try and get in. And they finally got a small pilot, small pilot, after about a year of trying. 
And then as soon as that was announced, like, hey, we got this small pilot we're going to be launched with Hospital Corporation of America. Then one of their employees, a junior analyst, said, oh, that's really cool. Uh, my dad is one of the top five executives at Hospital Corporation of America. And they're like, if we had known that a year ago, <laughs> then, you know, we could have done at least a small pilot a year ago. and We'd probably be doing a large deal now. So, like, you, you, it's... It's in your best interest as an individual to connect your account. It's in your best interest as an enterprise to have your employees connect their accounts. And I think that um, that is probably like, it's a really, really different way of thinking about things. And uh, so I would say that uh, we, you know, we have to do a lot of talking to both of the constituencies to make them understand it, appreciate the value that it unlocks for everybody, uh, and then go ahead and do it. Yeah, that I, that makes a lot of sense. I could totally see the privacy slash concern on that aspect. So, well, unfortunately, we're up on time, Drew. I could talk with you probably about this for another couple of hours because I, I love this stuff. I can nerd out on on all the little details. And I think it's really cool what you guys are doing uh, with with kind of a, a unique approach that hasn't really been looked at this way. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Connect the Dots? And then we'll wrap it up. Uh, best way to find us is at our website, go to ctd.ai, like connect the dots, ctd.ai. Uh, you can uh, join. Uh, there is a free personal uh, version. Uh, there's a wait list right now. Uh, you can click the wait list button and join. Uh, you can also, as uh, a listener of Ryan's podcast, just email me and tell me that you heard me uh, on Ryan's podcast. And I can send you a link uh, that will let you skip the wait list. You can create your account right away. Uh, so my email is drew at ctd.ai, D-R-E-W at ctd.ai. Um, and that's probably the best way to get in touch with us. Awesome, man. Well, it was a real pleasure having you on the show, Drew. Congrats on all, all your success, your journey on the way here. Uh, and it was a really fun episode. So thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Had a good time. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.